Welcome back to the Womanist Podcast with Mommy Melisine, and I am here today with my first guest of the podcast, Ms. Taria, aka Cookie Washington. A fourth-generation needleworker and the first in her family to take up art quilting, Cookie Washington is a textile artist, researcher, folklorist, and curator who recently read, led a sold-out art quilting presentation at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American Culture. Her work has been featured in numerous publications, and she is a renowned expert in African water deities and Black art quilters. Born in Rabat, Morocco, she has traveled extensively and has made her home for the last 33 years in Charleston, South Carolina. She has organized and curated numerous traveling multimedia art exhibitions that highlight underrepresented narratives. Ms. Washington's theme exhibits have included celebrations of the 150th signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, Black Inventors, Zora Neale Hurston, and Mermaids and Merwomen in Black Folklore. For the last 16 years, she has been the curator of the annual African-American Fiber Art Exhibition, partnering with the North Charleston Cultural Arts Department. Ms. Washington's newest exhibit, Celebrating Black Mermaids from Africa to America, opens in Charleston on May 26th. Welcome to the show, Ms. Cookie Washington. Welcome, Cookie. Welcome to the Marwamanist Podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis. I'm honored to be here and excited to talk to you about Black Mermaids. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I was really excited to, I was like, okay, I finally am doing something right. I've been doing all of this, you know, the podcast and the social media for a while, trying to attract things like this, you know, for people who are working on Black Mermaid stuff to reach out to me. So I'm so excited that you found me. Um, And I actually was aware of that 2012 exhibit that you did. And just like, oh man, I'm so, you know, sorry that I missed that, you know, because I think that it had a lot of influence on what we're seeing today in terms of Black mermaids and popular culture. Um, So I actually want to get to that layer though. I want to start off talking about quilting. And I have a class on Black girlhood and magic, and we have been talking about quilting and different forms of collage. Um, I often think of quilting as a textile form of collage and as a metaphor for storytelling, as a metaphor for culture, because you're taking, you know, the pieces of things that already exist and adding and rearranging them to make something new that still has this essence of the past. Um, So can you tell our listeners about what quilting is and the significance of quilting to African-American history and culture? That's a great question. Thank you so much. Um, One of, I am more of an art quilter or textile artist. Mm -hmm. Instead of making a quilt like that would have gone on your bed, um, I make quilts that go on the wall. As a matter of fact, the last one that I made, other than the two that'll be in this mermaid show, was a, I guess, 56 inch long, 38 inch wide quilt of um, Yemaya giving birth. Mm, and wow. Her belly is exposed. I'll send you a picture. Her belly is exposed, and out of her body is spilling human beings of all colors. So it is said mm. that she, this the myth is where she populated the earth mm-hmm. by, by giving birth. Her waters broke onto the onto the earth. Um, so I love that one. Um, but the oldest pictorial quilt most and the most popular most famous one 
is by a black woman who was formerly enslaved named uh, Mrs. Harriet Powers. Mm-hmm. And only two of her quilts survive. One of them is at the Fuller Craft Museum in Boston. And the other one that I had the extreme honor to see is at the Smithsonian um, Museum of American History. And it's so fragile that they only show you pieces of it at a time because they have to keep it folded. Um, but one Christmas, somebody gave me the book Communion of the Spirits by Roland Freeman. Mm. He had spent years documenting quilters in all of the 50 states, which was amazing. And I thought, these are really cool. These are very different. This is not anything like I'm seeing at the Old Lady White Guilds in Charleston. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I studied the book. I looked at the book. I loved the book. And then um, one of my quilt mentors ended up being my quilt mentor said, you know, Roland's bringing the show to town. I said, what do you mean? So the community of the spirits was traveling. And within like eight weeks of me getting the book, he brought the exhibit to Charleston to the Gibbs Museum, which is one of the oldest museums in America. And I was honored to work with him. He always creates an ancestor altar. And mm-hmm. so he used pictures of my mine and my husband's ancestors in his altar. And I must have seen that exhibit 15 or 20 times. And by That's the end of the end of the second time, I was like, this is something I can do. I can put my voice in the cloth. I can make statements. I'm very much a political activist. Mm-hmm. And I realized though that if you and I are standing on opposite sides of it of the issue and I'm yelling about my point because I know I'm right and you're yelling about your point because you know you are right we are not doing anything except creating more uh negative energy but if I can make a quilt where you can stand in front of it and maybe absorb my point in a more gentle way even if it's a hard subject um like racism or sexism or you know, the Flint water crisis, anything like that. If you look at it, though, in a soft setting, like on a quilt, it hits you in a different way. It hits your, I mean, it hits your spirit more than me yelling at you about how right I am about my topic. So I think that's a wonderful way to introduce people to social justice issues. And I certainly work very much in social justice issues in, in my art. Oh, thank you so much. That's amazing. Okay, so the next question is, when did you first become interested in mermaids and water deities? And what is your journey with these water spirits? Again, a really good question. I um, I think I have a really deep spirituality. I was raised a Baptist. Um, and when I decided I wanted to do art quilting, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly. And so I was praying on it. Mm. Lord, you know, give me some guidance. And I went to sleep one night and I swear that I heard she, them, he say, mm-hmm. make black Madonnas. And I thought, oh, I have interrupted somebody else's dream. I'm a <laughs> Baptist. We don't know anything about the black Madonna. You know, like. For three minutes at the Christmas pageant, we talk about the Virgin Mary, and then that's it. (laughs) Sometimes we talk about Jesus said, take my mother home from the cross, but we don't have any thing about Madonnas. Right. And I didn't even know there was iconography of the Black Holy Family. 
mean, this is how totally ignorant I was. And when I saw it, I was like, mm. why am I this many years old and have never seen this before? Um, and I was stunned and I was thrilled and I was excited. Um, and so I thought, I have to know everything. I, I'm one of those people, you know, if mm -hmm. you ask me, do I know anything about zippers? I can tell you when the first zipper was, I just, I'm like that. So I did a deep, deep dive and it turns out that all most of the very first images of the holy family were black or, or dark complected um and pope john paul his favorite madonna is the black madonna of it's our lady of poland there's another really long the name of the city in poland is very very long but it's essentially our lady of poland and um and i made a quote like that and i felt like God said, do eight of them. And I was like, oh, Baptist girl, still not working. <laughs> um, and so I kept researching. And then I discovered that much of the uh, myths and stories surrounding the Blessed Virgin were taken from other cultures' myths, um, mm -hmm. like Isis. And, mm -hmm. uh, that, and I stumbled onto Black mermaids. And I was like, how did I never know this either? This was great. So I was very excited and I didn't fall in love. I leapt mm. in love with Black Mermaids. It was like, this is what my soul has been waiting for my whole life. It immediately resonated with me. Um, and I just started researching Black mer Mermaid stories, Black Mermaids, you know, how they connected to this, that, or the other thing in researching um, Christian deities. I came upon Stella Maris in the Catholic mm. faith. And Stella Maris is actually, if you keep tracing that out, is a black mermaid. Oh. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. So I just kept researching and I started making them. Um, and I thought this might be my life's work. And one of the mm. things that became so important to me, um, my daughters were already moving into their late teens um when I first started doing the Black Mermaids but and I had done a lot of because we live in the south I'd done a lot of teaching of black history because they were not getting that in school and whatever mm -hmm. and I would sometimes talk with, to their friends and what I realized they were learning in public schools particularly in the south is that essentially that like the story of black womanhood started kind of in their history books on a plantation somewhere in the south mm -hmm. so they did not know the rich history of african women anything that happened in africa that was of any significance just like we got kidnapped and put on a slave ship and yay we learned how to pick cotton and then we got free that's kind of the story right and once i discovered about black mermaids i realized i wanted my children um, my godchildren and now my grandchildren daughters, I have three granddaughters who are amazing. Um, I wanted them to know that we are not coming up from slavery. Mm -hmm. We are ascended down from being worshiped as goddesses. And we need to know that because it absolutely changes the way you breathe when you understand that you are something much bigger and much larger than the little box that your society and your culture has tried to put you in. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, that is my that is my mission, my lesson, my vocation, my avocation right now is to just herald Black mermaids. And one of the things that is important about the upcoming exhibition celebrating Black mermaids from Africa to America is um, I, I made sure that it opens on the same day as the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to do that is to counteract, and I know I'm a little tiny dot in the ocean <laughs> compared to Disney, but I wanted to counteract that patriarchal story. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a little mermaid who falls in love with a land being and gives up everything to go and be on the land with him where she doesn't know anybody, where everything is different. Mm-hmm. And I want people to understand why, if you are a goddess, Mm. the entire ocean would you give up your tail fins and your power and your magic and your best friend who's a talking crab um, <laughs> to get out of the water and go hang out with somebody who's not even a king they're just a prince <laughs> no 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 we would not do that mm-hmm. so I will go see the movie because I want Disney to keep doing what they call non-traditional casting and the right. more tickets are sold, the more they will go, oh, okay, so maybe this is something we should continue to do. But I am taking my granddaughters, but I am also, every Black Mermaid book that is appropriate for a four-year-old, they are going to get it. Right. You know, they don't, you know, grandmommy sees a book and money just falls out of my pocket because, you know, they're my granddaughters. So, um, mm-hmm. but I do think it's important for them to have that sense of worth, that sense of self. Um, and to know it, and if they know it from the time that they're babies, they yeah. will walk in the world differently than I did at women my age. We had to mm-hmm. come back to it um, because we weren't born imprinted with it. And I mm-hmm. want my granddaughters to be imprinted, that to be imprinted on them from day one. That's just really powerful. I have to like let it sink in. <laughs> Can you tell me, you mentioned Stella Maris. I don't know this story. Stella Maris, am I saying that yeah, right? St- yes, yeah, Stella Maris is um, the Blessed Mother Mary of the sea. Oh, okay, okay. And so, you know, Catholics have all different- Manifestations um, of Mary. Manifestations, uh, different um, saints. They're called saints, I guess. And um, Stella Maris is the one who protects um, people who travel in the sea or journey in the sea or whatever. Um, but again, if you trace that, so many of the things that we hold dear now in the Christian canon, if you keep tracing them out, like the Virgin Mary story, you know, how many other cultures and religions also have a virgin birth story? Mm -hmm. You know, when I heard the virgin birth story of Yumi, I was so excited, you Mm -hmm. know, and then the Native Americans have a, a birth story and the Egyptians have a, a virgin birth story. You know, so there's, and I only thought there was only ever one because I was raised a little Baptist girl and, you know, we're right. So mm-hmm. I, I had to, you know, not unlearn, but embrace a new modality in my life. So I was very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. This, like a, just this discovery of of a of a divinity you know a divinity that's not only shaped by 
what we get from Western culture and what we get from like American or European culture. Um, yeah, no, I really appreciate what you had to say about the Little Mermaid because as much as I am excited about the Little Mermaid um, for the reasons you said, right? You want to keep seeing this kind of casting. And I do think it could potentially like open some doors for different kinds of projects to get through that like Hollywood gatekeeping, right? Including our own projects that are our own stories or stories from the African diaspora. Um, but at the same time, um, you're sort of using the moment to draw attention to some of the other lineages and some of the other films. So I know that there are some other films like Black Mermaid or Black Mermaid related um, films that are going to be exhibited at the um, Celebrating Black Mermaids. Um, so could you talk a little bit about those? Yes. Um, of course, I don't have my notes. Um, <laughs> first one is called Deluge. Mm -hmm. And it is a fantasy story based on a, a true tragedy that happened in uh, Lake Pontchartrain, Louisiana. Um, and it's like, what would happen if instead of this tragedy, black mermaids were about, how, mm -hmm. would, how would that have ended up differently? These are all short films. Mm -hmm. um, Daughter of the Sea is the next film. And it is a story about a woman who is called by her grandfather's spirit to become mm -hmm. a water spirit. Um, the third one is a true documentary based on, and I cannot pronounce her name, so I will not even attempt it. Um, mm -hmm. A beautiful Nigerian sister who has become the, one of the first black women deep sea divers and they call her the black mermaid. Mm -hmm. And then the last film is untitled as of yet, but um, sister Judith uh, Edu is creating it. She did a lot of work with water spirits and she's got two pieces in the show um one of them looks like mommy Wat is actually floating and walking across the water very powerful wow. so she's she's documenting um her journey to find mommy Wata. Mm -hmm. and so there are four wonderful films they will be shown friday and we're trying to figure out if we can stream them so that people who cannot actually physically be present in charleston will be able to see them and they're all short films. I don't think any of them are more than 13, 15 minutes long. So it's, a, it's an hour, you know, but I think it, it's an hour that will move you and change your life and enliven your spirit. Yes, no, no, I'm really excited for those. And there's a few, I've been coming across quite a few um, Black Mermaid films um, and they are mostly short films, but there are a couple of um, full-length features and so I'm excited to, you know, talk about those on the podcast and let people know that there are like Black Mermaid movies out there already. Um, I wanted to, I have other questions, but I want to go back to something you said about, you know, being a Baptist. Is that what you said? You were a Baptist and coming across these stories. And I'm curious as to, because I've experienced some of this in the mermaid community where, um, you know, many of us growing up in African-American households, you know, growing up in Christian households, that when um, some of us come in contact with these stories and realize how much they are related to these religious traditions that many people are not familiar with, there's a little bit of, oh, you know, oh, I don't know about that. So I'm just curious as to um, maybe what that journey was like for you and as you 
kind of publicize these stories and have these conversations with people. Um, I'm just curious as to what those conversations are like. Are people ever like, oh, well, what are you talking about deity or goddess? Or are people very receptive, especially when they understand the way in which some of these stories actually influence the Christian stories, right? So, you know, I'm just curious about how that has gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is it is very interesting. Um, when I did the first uh, mermaid exhibit, which was called um, Mermaids and Merwomen in Black Folklore in 2012, um, I asked two quilters that I really love their work is so really wonderful. I highly respect them. Their work would have been such an asset. And because both of them were Christian women, they refused. They said, nope, this is feels too demonic or whatever to me. And they and they would not do it. One of them did come and see the show because she does love me and supports me. And she said, Oh, oh, I get it now. Mm. And I said, you know, I'm, I was born a little Baptist girl. I'm a die a little Baptist girl, but what am I celebrating, honoring the traditions of my great, great, great grandmother that I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, if we came from Ghana, Nigeria, um, you know, those, the places where probably most of the enslaved that came to the South particularly mm -hmm. to the low country South came from, we weren't Christians, right? You know, we were, we were Muslims. We were Yoruba. We were um, Dogon worshipers. We were all different kinds of things. And if I want to honor my ancestors, I have to know and understand and it, at least partially embrace what they stood for, what they believed because that is in me, that is in my DNA. And I have to, I feel like I have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I talk about this, some people are very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, some people take it just as a lark. It's like, oh, I really like quilting. I'll make you a mermaid quilt. Mm -hmm. But with this show, I wrote a very long call for entry. And I asked people to do the deep dive, do the studying. Um, and I explained to them why this exhibit was going to be where it was and why that was so important to me. And um, the reason why it was is the gallery sits less than a half a nautical mile from Gadsden's Wharf in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And depending on if you're talking to Dr. Gates or Dr. Henrik, um, they believe that 40 to 65% of every enslaved person that came to the Americas came from the port of Charleston. Even if you ended up in Brazil, you touched mm -hmm. the port of Charleston and then they put you on another ship and shift you even further south. Mm. So one of the things that, that we learned is before they got to Gadsden Wharf, which is kind of over that way, um, they would anchor the ship and they would clean all this, the enslaved ones up and the ones that were really, really sick or had died in the middle passage. And there were a lot of them. Right. They'd throw them overboard. 
and write about where the gallery is that this exhibit will be in is write about the place where they probably anchored those ships and throw those through those slaves or enslaved ones over. Mm. So I feel very deeply the presence of our ancestors when I'm on that for me is is sacred holy ground. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the some of the mermaid, and I don't even think they're myths. I think it's stories like their stories in the Bible of right. them caring for the souls of those who are lost at sea and taking them onto their next journey, getting their souls back to the motherland so they can go on to the next place is such an honor for me to be able to share that story. And we will be having um, Saturday morning, the 27th, we will be having an ancestor blessing by a Yoruba priest. Um, to help set their spirits free, let them know that we are thinking of them, that we are honoring them, that we will bless the waters that maybe will help to yet again release more of the angst and pain Mm -hmm. that is there in the water. And I keep thinking lately about, it's kind of off the beaten path of of mermaids, but maybe not, of doing ritual bathing. Is that getting... Mm -hmm women to do ritual bathing you know in your time zone at 10 p.m at my time zone in 10 p.m in Mm -hmm. central time at 10 p.m can we all do ritual mermaid bathing Mm. where we and and the ritual bathing in africa is very important you do it for the health of your village for the health of and safety of your tribe um if there's a physical ailment in the community, like everybody got strep throat or something, you do, right. women do ritual bathing. They do it to protect the men if they're going off for war or if there is an external threat. And in America right now, there are so many external threats on our community. And I really think that if we did ritual bathing as a community of women, we are so strong. We are so powerful. We have that mermaid spirit. Um, and my two daughters have started a little soap company and they are writing a, a little pamphlet about African ritual bathing. And they're so, they're like, mom, why didn't you tell us this? Like, mommy <laughs> does not know everything and y'all can read. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go make me some more mermaids. So, <laughs> and, you know, so they've gathered you know, they've made this beautiful soap um, and bubble bath because they both love bubble bath even though they're in their 40s. And Mm -hmm. um, they've even just, you know, researched how do you take a ritual bath if you only have a shower? Mm. How do you do it if you just want to bathe your feet or if you did a ritual foot bath with 10 other other women? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Um, And how would you go about doing that to honor the ancestors and to bring power back into our community. And I believe that mother's prayers, whether or not we are actually a mother that pushed a baby out of our womb, or we are mothering other people by um, mentoring them or we've adopted them, the prayers 
and and beliefs and desires for our community can be so strong if we unite and i think that's one of the re one of the other reasons why we should learn about mermaids and how they were protectors um and they were also defenders and they imparted knowledge you know mm -hmm. in i just recently found um sophia is the black goddess of wisdom and it is said that she is the consort of yahweh and that she taught king solomon who was supposedly the smartest man that ever lived his knowledge mm -hmm. and i just recently found in a very very ancient uh kabbalistic teaching that sophia may have been a mermaid too they already mm. said she's a dark or black goddess of wisdom and she's a mermaid so duh black mermaid sophia makes sense to me mm -hmm. we were talking the other day often when old older people get alzheimer's or dementia and they wander off the first place you go to look for them is near the nearest body of water mm -hmm. ancient primitive brain not primitive in a bad way but the mm -hmm. most deepest ancient part of our brain knows that we came from water and so we go back to the water and so so many times when some senior person is lost or a little child is lost you know not that they've been abducted but that they have wandered off by themselves they seek a body of water because children mm -hmm. remember that as well and so the water could possibly harm us because we don't understand and we don't teach our children to swim as much as we should mm -hmm. so when they get called back to the water deeply in their spirit they they sometimes it sometimes ends badly but it does not have to mm -hmm. we have to take again we have to take back that power we have to take back the story that our European brothers and sisters are telling us about why we should be afraid of water mm -hmm. and, and throw that out the window. I, I'm married to a, a, was married to a man who is from Charleston, South Carolina, lived here all his life. And I asked him one day, I said, why can't you swim? And he said, because my mother loved me. <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I, I buy that. I believe she did. And I said, but can we talk a little more about how that love manifested and why you can't swim at 68 years old? Mm -hmm. And he said, when he was a young boy living in Charleston, there was one swimming pool that was available for black children in the neighborhood that he lived in. Mm -hmm. And they did not have any lifeguards because at that time in Charleston, they were only hiring white lifeguards and mm -hmm. white lifeguards were not allowed to work at black pools. Mm -hmm. Ergo, his mother loved him. <laughs> she would not allow him to go to a swimming pool that did not have a lifeguard on duty because he didn't know how to swim. So he mm -hmm. never learned to swim. It didn't have anything to do with being afraid about slavery or anything like that. It was racism. Mm -hmm. It was, it was racism, racism that kept right. him learning how to from learning how to swim. So all of our children can swim. They're not maybe strong swimmers, but they do know how to do it because I thought I'm gonna break that cycle. My children need to be able to embrace the water. And Charleston is a peninsula. There is water <laughs> on three sides of us. It would be foolish and I think neglectful for me not to teach these children how to swim. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, 
there's just so much surrounding water there's and water so culture. much there there there's so much um there's just so much right because i mean that's one of the things i keep talking about on the show is that um i think that mermaids hold this power that and this sense of awe and meaning and spirituality that i think kind of surpasses any other kinds of figure in popular culture because of the connection to water because our relationship to water is so primal is so significant and so important um, and I love what you said about, um, you know, it's racism, right? Like that, that's the main reason, right? There's not any inherent fault in ourselves. Um, and even though some of my work I have been talking about, like slavery and the Middle Passage, because I'm looking at Middle Passage mermaid narratives, that's kind of my focus. I yeah. have been talking a lot about the trauma that produces, but the fact is, even after that, even after coming through the transatlantic slave trade, Black people were still swimming, right? <laughs> like they were still swimming, they were still going to the water, they were still connecting with the water, they were still baptizing in the water. So they weren't afraid of water, right? So this is something that, you know, happens right like kevin dawson writes about in undercurrents of, of power um that until pretty recently more black people could swim than white people so it's actually a very short 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 period of history in which that has been switched and a lot of it has been like because of racism because of segregation because of access right um, I wonder what the role of migration played in that, right? That, you know, African-American people moving out of rural areas where they had access to water and moving into cities, you know? So th those are all things I'm interested to research more and kind of break down some of these myths that mm -hmm. I think we repeat and we perpetuate um, because slavery becomes kind of the easy answer for everything. <laughs> right? right, which is why it is imperative for our children to not not believe that our existence started in a, on a plantation somewhere in the south, mm -hmm. I I talk to um, a lot of girls groups, and the title of my talk is usually African goddesses and queens, seven Cleopatras, and none of them look like Elizabeth Taylor. Mm -hmm. And. Um, <laughs> You have to be as old as me to get how funny that really is. No, no, I get it. You know about the whole controversy right now with Cleopatra. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I am loving. I am loving this. I'm. I think the Egyptian government needs to be like in timeout for serious <laughs> punishment. But if you graduated from high school, you never went on to college. If you just graduated from high school, at generally a high school is somewhere in America. You know, you didn't go to an advanced school where you just went to a regular public high school. These are the Black women that you know about, like if you're my daughter's ages, which is like late 30s. You knew, if you went to school up north, you know about Phyllis Wheatley, mm -hmm. who was a poetess and a slave. And then how many years was it before Harriet Tubman showed up, who was the leader of the Underground Railroad and a slave? And then because she was a rabble rouser, there's about two paragraphs about Sojourner Truth, and then we don't talk about her anymore. And then there are no more Black women listed in regular American history until we get to Rosa Parks. Mm -hmm. So slave, 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 abused woman who finally tried to break the system. Those are what we know about African-American women. 
what does that say about us? We, we have no power unless we are trying to buck the system. And even though we maybe bucked the system, it didn't benefit us as much as it should have. Or so. that, that to me, it just feels really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that those are the narratives that are, that are happening for us. And so I, I want to keep telling a different, richer story. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, and, and right now what's going on in America where there are people, children who may not even know about Harriet Tubman. You right. Know, like, oh, they'll right. never know about Mami Wata or, right. um, yeah, they'll, they'll, <laughs> you know, they'll never know about Ida B. Wells. They'll never know about Mary McLeod Bethune. You know, they may not even ever know about Kamala Harris. Right. <laughs> and that terrifies me. Mm-hmm. And so maybe my hope is that through the gentle art of fiber art, of art mm-hmm. building, presenting powerful mermaid stories may hit their spirits in a different way and they'll want to dig deeper and know more. Mm-hmm. I love how you describe it like the gentle art or the soft art because it's like the like the the textiles are literally soft. And then you're talking about softness and gentleness in terms of also the a way of telling stories, right? That people can hear them or they they, they can see them in the case of art. Um so we we need to move towards the end, but I just wanted to ask if there's anything else you want to talk about about the exhibit, about either one, because you also did an exhibit in 2012. Um, and I guess, I don't know if you see this one as a continuation or a follow-up, but if you could talk about either one of them a little bit more in terms of like the history of this like ongoing project. The one in 2012 was such a gift for me. Um, and I didn't, I do, I do these things for me because I want to educate people. And you sometimes don't, for a long time, don't know if you ever made any impact. You know, I'm sure you do because you have students, you get feedback every year. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm not a professor, so you don't know. And a lot of people started asking me almost immediately, when are you going to do it again? When are you going to do it again? When are you going to do it again? It's like, I don't know. You know, it's very hard and expensive to mount a show like like the one I did in 2012. But... um, last year one of the things that moved me that really made me know that I had to do this this year besides the fact that Disney is opening the movie on the same date as my show opening um the the opera by Rana Giddens called I Am Omar about the um Muslim brother who was enslaved and started writing his autobiography on the walls of his prison in Arabic. Mm. Very powerful. Mm. Opera. And the, it premiered in Charleston last year because he was sold into slavery, Gadsden's Wharf in Charleston. Um, mm. So he started writing his, his story in, in Arabic, which I think is beautiful, on the walls of his prison. I was privileged to go and see the premiere of the opera. Mm. And 
the second scene in the first act, Omar and several others are enslaved and they're put on the slave ship. And so, you know, the water is, you know, they're going through the water and they are singing and crying out, help me, Emoja, save us, Emoja, take us mm -hmm. away, Emoja, take our spirits. It was such a beautiful aria. I just wept because I knew who they were talking about. Right. Intermission comes and I get up and, you know, there's going to be a long intermission. Um, and I'm in the lobby and people, white and black, who were there were going, that Yamoja, that, that mermaid you kept telling us about, isn't it? Mm. And this was 2022. The show had been 10 years earlier in 2012. <laughs> and they remembered. Oh, yeah. That was like so powerful. It's like, like y'all were listening. Thank mm -hmm. you. And then they were like, well, when, when are you going to bring those mermaids back? And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> so I was, I was really thrilled um, that, that I did make an impact, that the art made an impact, that people did learn and hold the memory, at least, of Yamoja. Um, mm -hmm. So this, this show is, I guess it's a continuation. Um, it, you, I think you never stop wanting to learn. Um, and so this show has over 142 pieces of art, 92 artists from around the country. Um, and it's not just quilts, it's quilts and dolls and paintings um, and 3D sculptures. It's mm. wonderful, it's powerful, it is so moving. Um, I asked all the artists, I said, listen, don't sign up to do the show unless you can bring your A game. And mm. I was looking at the art today in the gallery, trying to figure out where everything's going to be hung. People brought their A-plus game. I wow. think when you walk into the gallery, you will weep, I promise you. Mm -hmm. I just unboxing it, I was like, oh my God, I don't have enough tissue. <laughs> it was, it's, these pieces are powerful. And once they're on the wall, you know, in the light, and like I said, when you, when you are standing there looking at the mermaid art and then looking out at the Charleston Harbor, it will affect you deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very excited. And um, that 2012 show, it definitely made a big impact because one of the things I've been doing in my work is kind of trying to track, because I feel like we're in a Black mermaid renaissance right now, right? <laughs> like Black mermaids everywhere. And one of the things I've been trying to do is sort of like track these lightning rod moments in culture that I think um, play a role in this. And when I first started doing this project a few years ago, before I think people knew broadly about the Holly Bailey casting in The Little Mermaid, um, you know, just kind of before I felt like we reached this critical mass of seeing a lot of books and things come out, the thing that I found first when I was researching Black Mermaids online was that exhibit. Wow. <laughs> that was the first thing I found was that exhibit. Um, and That's an I honor. wow. And I found a lot of poetry and a lot of visual art people were making that when they talked about their inspiration for it, they talked about seeing that exhibit and books that I've read that um, talk about seeing that show. And that was like their inspiration for this Black Mermaid book. So it definitely made a big impact.
<laughs> you know, when I did the um, Mermaids and Mirror Women of Black Folklore, one of the things that I wanted, I love poetry, I love stories. And so mm -hmm. I asked several poets from around the mm -hmm. world to contribute poetry. I didn't ask this time, um, but two of the two of the poets went to the Boa Morte um, ceremonies in Brazil. Do you, are you familiar? Mm -hmm. And they came back after the Boa Morte and wrote beautiful poetry. Mm. Um, maybe I should dig some of that out and have it available in the gallery. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, it's it. I I am so excited and happy and. Um, I'm hearing from people all over the world who are coming to this exhibit, and I'm very excited that you will be there, and mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Henry Drool will be there, who is one of the mm -hmm. most foremost authorities on the Black Mermaid and, and Mamiwata. His exhibit in 2010 or 2011 at the um, Museum of African um, Culture and History at the Smithsonian was the definitive still there's nothing that has topped it since then um excuse me and so I'm excited to have him here and I have already told him you're going to have to make a little speech I'm going to go <laughs> out to dinner and pick your brain um and uh talk to you about your research and mm -hmm. your journey as a black mermaid and teaching um mermaid myths and culture and spirituality and I love that you said we get to have whimsy. We get to have mm -hmm. joy in our life. We don't have to keep revisiting what I call tragedy porn. Mm -hmm. You know, let's be light. Let's be happy. Let's celebrate not just the very heaviness of Black mermaids, but the joy. The person who I hired to be our Black mermaid, I she came over last Sunday and tried her tail on and we got oh. her all dressed up. I could not get her out of her. I could not get her out of the costume. I was like, listen, it's it's 915. I got to go to bed. You got to go. <laughs> but you don't got to go home, but you got you can't stay you gotta here. You got to get out of here. <laughs> There's nothing like putting a mermaid tail on. I have to tell you, like, if your inner child needs some healing, go put a mermaid tail on. <laughs> Again, flat, because, flat because our souls are in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, think about it. In, in our mother's womb, we're swimming for nine months. In my case, it was one time 10 months. Um, <laughs> but so you come out, you come out of a watery, safe place into this world. So again, it makes sense that you want to be near the water, that you want to be surrounded by water, because that's a safe space. And mm -hmm. tell someone tells you that it's not a safe space. Or your society breeds it out of you that it's not right. a safe space. So mm -hmm. I, I am hoping that this will again make an impact. And thank you so much for saying that. Thank you, thank you. And I know people have also cited the um um the the you know because there was a series of shows um like around that time period. There was also a mermaid show at UCLA. Um, I think the drool exhibit was global, wasn't it? Didn't it tour? Yeah. And it, it actually started out at the, um, somewhere in California and then it went mm -hmm. to the Smithsonian and then it was, yeah, it was in several places in Africa. I think it was also in Haiti. Yeah, it traveled mm -hmm. a lot. And I've just recently been able to unearth a few 
brand new, still in plastic copies of the book. So if anybody would like a copy mm -hmm. of the book, please get in touch with me. Um, I'm sure you'll post my stuff at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll post, I'll post the information about the book in the show notes. Um, Great. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Well, I think that that's good. I think that's a nice close to this conversation. I want to thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your artistry and your generosity. Um, I just think what you're doing is so beautiful and generous. And I'm just really excited that I get to be a part of it this year. Oh, thank you so much. I look so forward to seeing you. We're going to have a great time. <laughs> okay. You have just listened to the Merwomanist podcast with Mommy Melisine. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, I would love five stars, and subscribe for future episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at mommy, that's M-A-M-I, underscore Melisine, or at Merwomanist podcast on LinkedIn at Jalandra Davis, or my website, jalandradavis.com. Wishing you love and laughter and hoping to see you swim this way again. <laughs>